Ophelia Byers. Hey, it's Nikki Llewellyn and you're on Gut Plus Science. This podcast is on a mission to increase engagement at work. And on this show, we equip CEOs and people first leaders of all levels to make impact. Let's get to it. Hey, Gut Plus Science here. We are with another standout leader in healthcare, Ophelia Byers. And today we're talking about how to rebuild trust. If you remember, Ophelia was with us a few years back and she is one passionate human. David Black, co-founder of Even Health, will be co-hosting with me again today. I love what he and the team at Even Health are doing. They're a digital wellness company improving access, rebuilding trust, and removing stigma and mental health for our healthcare workforce. Their flagship product, Cabana, is so cool and currently supports over 70,000 healthcare workers in the U.S. through professionally moderated group classes and trainings. And they do it so differently. They've pioneered a first-of-its-kind technology designed to foster psychological safety in virtual group experiences. Everyone I know that uses that platform absolutely loves it. So David, I'm ready to learn from Ophelia with you today. Go ahead and kick us off. Thanks so much, Nikki. It is just such a treat to be part of this conversation. Thank you for for including me. I'm honored to introduce Dr. Ophelia Byers. Ophelia is a hospital and healthcare system executive with over 22 years of experience in the nursing domain, is currently chief nurse executive for Atlantic Health System, and has certifications in advanced nursing practice, executive leadership, patient family experience, as well as diversity inclusion. So Ophelia, thank you so much for being part of the show. I'm just excited for the conversation we're going to have. Ophelia, let me just jump in to one of the questions, which is, could you mind sharing a little bit about what you've found to be a core best practice to building a foundation of trust and psychological safety in the workplace? David, thank you so much for having me, Nikki, for having me on Gut Plus Science and David to be here with you today to talk about this really important topic of trust and how trust has eroded, especially in these last two years specifically in healthcare, but certainly around the world in dealing with this unrelenting pandemic that we're dealing with with COVID-19 and also in light of the social unrest in our society related to the very tragic events of 2020. So I think best practices with trust, we know that people are really the center of everything that we do in our organizations. Best practices include everything from how we choose our teams, how we develop our teams, the importance of having shared values, shared mission, shared vision, really being on the same page about what the purpose is of the team, where the team wants to go. That, from the beginning, plants a seed of trust when we don't have to know each other intimately in terms of our personal lives, but we know that we have this common bond in terms of where we want to go as a team. So that's a really important starting point. And then how we continue to build on that. So I think that it comes with intention. Understanding, particularly as leaders, that that is intentional work. Fostering trust, building that, engendering that. That's something that we have to always be focused on. Recognizing when there is vulnerabilities, when something could potentially erode trust. Change is one of them which is a constant threat because it's always happening. (laughs) Um, And so with change being a constant in many organizations and now more than ever, we have to always think that trust is at risk and be really cognizant and intentional about fortifying that. Trust isn't a finish line, so to speak. It's a journey, right? 
Absolutely. Ophelia, I'm so excited to have you back on Gut Plus Science. I loved our last episode and I know our listeners did too. Now, building from the base of this conversation around asking key questions and really digging into a needs assessment of your people, share some of your experiences and best practice to building trust among the team you serve, understanding your people and really the reality of where they stand before implementing. Yes. I love the idea of a needs assessment. It's something in healthcare, in nursing in particular, in the niche world of nursing education, we often do needs assessment. And that is finding out from the people who are closest to the work, what they need to do the work. It is the belief that the people closest to the work are the best knowers of it. And so you honor their expertise and you want to hear from them about what they need, what they're seeing. So a needs assessment is just an evaluation. It allows the voice of the people closest to the work to be heard. A certain humility is involved in that, a leadership humility. It's that I don't necessarily know everything that's happening. I don't have all the answers. And so I am relying on the people around me, people closest to the work, to inform me. And sometimes that's not always in a decision-making capacity, it's in an advisory capacity. Because as leaders, we know sometimes we ultimately have to make the decisions. Those decisions should be informed by our teams. So these assessments could be anything from be done in a survey form, in a focus group forum, one-to-ones, skip level meetings, really any way that we give, and it should be multimodal, so that we're giving people various opportunities to be able to communicate what they need to us. And then taking that information and really what do you do with it? Because we sometimes are very good at collecting data, um, but it really is how do you turn that information, that data into information, then to knowledge, into wisdom. And so it is then taking that data that we've gathered through the needs assessment, really processing it, whittling it down, finding those common themes, returning back to the people that we gathered that information from and saying, here's what I heard. Here's what I received from you. Here's how we processed it and analyzed it. Is this what you intended? Is this what you need? And then what does an action plan look like moving forward? I think the most important part in doing a needs assessment is ensuring that you're always returning to the people that it most affects in a monitoring type of fashion, that they have input along the entire life cycle of whatever the work is, that we're always checking back in with them and making sure that what they intended is what is being produced. And we're highlighting how to rebuild trust in this episode, which I think is a different angle to trust building and is so needed. Ophelia, can you talk about the importance of renewing trust and some keys to leading that rebuild? Trust renewal is so important. Think about, again, what we've been through over the last couple of years. Think about the pandemic where there's been a lot of misinformation. And so people are not sure if they can trust some of the governing bodies in healthcare, where our team members have been through a lot of emotional and physical distress. And there may be some distrust of their leaders in the healthcare setting. But at the same time, with all that being said, we need to live and we need to survive and thrive. And in healthcare settings, patients need to be taken care of. And so we need each other. And how do we reconnect to be able to serve that greater mission of delivering high quality, highly reliable care to patients and families? And I say that specifically for healthcare. So renewing trust. To me, it starts with acknowledging that there is a problem. It's so simple. 
And it's something that sometimes you probably have heard the term toxic positivity, uh, where we are just, everything's fine. It's fine. It's going to be fine. I remember during the first wave of this pandemic in 2020, saying to my then team, I want to tell you so bad that we've got this, but sometimes it feels like this has got us. And they all went, yes, that's exactly it, right? Like, that's what it feels like. And thank you for saying it. Like, just thank you for saying the thing that people are afraid to say, because we can now just collectively sigh and say, it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be uncertain. And now that we're able to release that, even though we are healthcare professionals and the public is relying on us to have the answers, we don't know exactly what's going on. We don't know what this is. And we don't feel like we've got this. And thank you for giving us space to say that. And now we can move on with that common bond of uncertainty but also perseverance, right? I think acknowledging the problem is incredibly important. It so honors the maturity, the spiritual maturity of people that they can handle it. They can handle you saying there's a problem. It's not okay. It's so respectful to do that, not only because it's transparent, but again, because it says, I trust that you are okay enough to be able to handle this truth, right? And then I think moving on from that and saying, okay, now that we know that we have a problem, it's also framing that because sometimes what people think is the problem is not the problem. So I think that that's incredibly important for leaders to be able to redirect their teams, like agree, there is a problem, except it's not that problem. And sometimes we're focused on the wrong things, or sometimes we're focused on minutia and there's a bigger fish to fry, if you will. And so I think that it's important for us to be able to redirect our teams on what the issue truly is and then start to say, okay, how do you want to handle it? I can't do it without you. I absolutely do have ideas, but I do need your input. And again, always checking back in with our teams throughout the process and making sure that anything that affects them, they have a voice in. I think that that's a really important way to start that renewal process because it is authentic, it is transparent, it is respectful, and it is inclusive. I just had a couple of notes that I'm jotting down here among my like key takeaways that I want to share at the end. And one key is the power of not assuming. And you talked about just this is why you ask questions and do the needs assessment because we start building out these plans to solve things. And it's like, we aren't even solving what's really the issue. The other that I jotted down is just getting rid of this perfectionistic thought that if we're a leader, we have to be perfect versus be human. And that's where trust building comes from is being a human and saying, yeah, I don't know, or I don't have it figured out, but we're going to figure it out together. Don't know where that comes from, that leaders sometimes think we have to be perfect, but hopefully we're inspiring people that you don't have to be. Ophelia, I was going to say, I love what you're sharing here. We heard another conversation with Maureen Fagan at University of Miami, and her words were stay curious as a leader, that a way to stay authentic, to stay humble, and to not make assumptions is this notion that, you know, let's ask questions, let's stay curious, let's figure out that the problem may not be what we think it is. You bring up some, some incredible points. 
reflecting a bit on our past episode, I know you are passionate about DEI leadership. How do you see the foundations to trust building intersect with the work that you do to move the needle on diversity, equity, and inclusion in healthcare particularly? When I think about why we need a DEI movement, why is that necessary? And you think about all of the, I refer to them as isms and phobias that plague our society globally and that require this very focused effort and intervention to course correct. You recognize that inherent in that whole dynamic is a trust that either has been lost or never existed and is struggling, right? And so a lot of what we are dealing with, with these various isms and phobias, is the people who are affected by that. And I do use the word victimized because there's harm created by that. At the root of that is I can't trust not just individuals, because I think that's easy to overcome, but I can't trust the structures and systems that surround me. That is very, very difficult to digest. To know that even if I work with really great people, there are certain issues and harms that are baked into structures in the way that we move that impact me on a daily basis. And so how do I then trust the process, as we often hear, when that process includes structures that have been harmful to me, either in my lived experiences or vicarious experiences? So when you realize that you have team members or even yourself, as in my case as a Black woman, when you realize that that is the reality, it requires attention and intention in building trust. It requires us to flex a different muscle or another muscle or additional muscles, should I say, right? You have to engage additional muscles because there are additional issues compounding the common human stressors. The research that I did on racism-related stress and psychological resilience in Black nurses, my position there was that there's a huge focus on stress in nursing, and rightfully so. And so all the stressors that we focus on, it's stresses at home, the moral distress at work, the burnout, all those things. Your Black nurses, for example, experience all of those things because those are common human stressors and occupational hazards. But then there's this other layer called racism that not everybody experiences. And so to be able to address that in a meaningful way, in a sustainable way, we have to recognize it. We have to say, yes, racism is real. Um, Yes, it does show up in very insidious ways. That's the very nature of racism, is that it's not always this blatant thing that most of us will agree is unacceptable, but it is insidious, it is baked in, It does show up in ways that is not always visible to every eye. I have developed a kind of a visual acuity chart for racism, if you will, where the things that are closest to you, the slurs, the things like that. Oh, no, we all see that. And the majority of us would not tolerate it. But there are things that are further out in the visual field that require a different kind of acuity to notice. And that people who are in that skin or in that reality are keenly aware of it. But people who are not may not be a little myopic. But the beautiful thing is, is there's such thing as vision correction. And so I think that that's what is required for us as leaders when we talk about being equitable in trust building, that we have to correct our vision about the social harms that affect many of our team members. 
many people choose a word of the year. And I think the past two years, I've heard the word resilience more than I ever have, and rightfully so. I would love for you to elaborate a little bit on how trust is so crucial for resiliency practices as leaders to be able to actually stick. So to talk about how is trust crucial to the ability to bounce back or be resilient, that has to be in place first. Can you talk about that a little bit? The topic here is eroded trust and what happens when we don't address that, when we don't recognize it. But on the other hand, there's this work that needs to get done, right? There's patients we need to serve or clients that we need to serve or whatever it is. And we need our teams to get it in gear because we got to get this work done. So we say, bounce back, be resilient. And our teams are thinking, to what? Bounce back to what? So here's this thing that you're asking me to do, this lift. But when I get there, what is waiting for me? What is helping me get there? What is fostering that movement, that upward trajectory? We have to be able to answer that question. We have to be able to say, not just be resilient, but here's how I will support your resilience. Here's what we have in place. Here's how we can foster that. Here's how I will hold space for you while you take your resilience journey, because not everybody can bounce back at the same velocity. Here's what you can rely on in that journey. But also when you get there, wherever there is, here's what's waiting for you. Here's how we've evolved, how we've grown, that you're not coming back to the same old, same old, because nothing is the same anymore, right? And so our teams need to see that we've evolved, that we've in a meaningful way, in a way that they need, right, according to their needs assessment, They need to know that when we collected that data, for example, from their needs assessment and all those one-to-ones and focus groups and things of that nature, that we did something with that information. (laughs) Um, and, And there are tangible outcomes of it and they're sustainable. So all of this is very much connected. They need to know that we've made good on our promises. They need to know the DEI promises that we made in 2020 when we said we were committed. They need to see evidence of that, that all of that work and the taking a knee and all of those things that were you know, done hasn't dissipated. Resilience for me is, I think about, I'll use an example really quickly from my basic training days in the Army Reserves. We had something called a mask confidence course. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, we learned how to don a gas mask, take it apart, clean it, blah, 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 blah. And then finally, we had this exercise where we went into a tent and we were told to break the seal on our mask. So over weeks, we learned how to seal the mask perfectly and all that. We were told to break the seal on our mask, but we didn't know what it meant, this mask confidence course. And we were told to maybe say the seven dwarves or count to 10 or whatever. And we did. And we then took in this unbelievable gas. That is harmless, but burns your eyes and mucous membranes like you can't believe. At any rate, the whole point of it was to say your mask works. That was the whole point. That's why it's called the mask confidence course. (laughs) It was to say that it works. And I thought what an important thing for us to think in leadership. So we don't want for our team members to have the mucous membrane burning gas. But we certainly do want them to be really, really clear that the safety mechanisms that we put in place work. We want them to have confidence in us. I love the story of just visualizing things that work for you in the environment you're coming back to 
And we've spent all this time trying to recognize the importance of diversity, to build in equity. But then we forget what that world is because we've been distracted by another wave. You forget that the mask doesn't work. I'm just thinking of what are the signals? You're talking about ways that people can come back to an environment of trust. What are the signals that things that you're doing that can embody that? So respect and demonstrating respect in many levels is one signal that you could send. You've had a number of unique experiences. What do you draw from that inform those signals, whether it's respect or something else amongst your team leadership? I think respect is at the bottom of it and the top. It really is a foundational element. When people just know that you care, when you can connect with them in a really human way and you see them almost blossom in front of you, where you come into a room and they're kind of skeptical. In my organization now, I'm relatively new. I'm also an executive. And so those two things combine sometimes when you walk into a room with staff, it can kind of be like, hmm, you know, what does she want? Right. And then you sit with them and you ask who they are and you say, this is who I am. And you say, I'm grateful to be on your team. Right. Here's what we can do together. What's been your experience? What do you want to see? I think it's engaging people. It's letting them know that their voice is valued, that their voice is needed. It's essential that they hold the future of whatever you're doing together in their hands. And quite frankly, every single person in the organization does. And that is both scary and exciting to think that every single person on your team could completely either undo everything that you're working on in one decision or take it to the next level in one decision. That is such an incredible power that we have to honor. And I think that when your teams see that you recognize their power and that you honor that, It almost accelerates the trust building because you see them. It's so simple, but I think it does elude a lot of leaders because we're reacting to a lot of what's going on these days. The demands are high on us and we're just trying to get things done. And we're not realizing that the most effective way to get things done is to take that time with our people and include them. That it might take more time, but it will stick longer. In the end, it will be worth it. And so I think it's a really great time for leaders to give themselves, to give ourselves grace as well, and recognize that we've also been through a lot, and to take time, and to demand time of the people who are demanding our time, to push back, as it said, and say, wait, I need to manage expectations because I need to absorb that shock for my people, right? I cannot pass on that demand to my teams. I won't do that. I know that it's not healthy. And so I'm going to need to kind of send that energy back. There are some things that we have to get done, but there are other things sometimes where we're going to have to manage that energy so that one, we don't absorb so much shock that we burn out, or two, that we don't pass it on to our people and burn them out. You share so much here, Ophelia, that's helpful. And I just want to, I want to keep talking because I think you've got incredible coaching advice for anyone that's in a leadership role. Do you have anything else that you might suggest for how we show up as leaders that helps us to ultimately get the solutions versus just allowing a cycle of problems to continue of trying to not erode trust? If I could probably just summarize it and say, it's starting with a certain self-reflectiveness. We talked about the words authenticity. I love the authentic leadership 
style in that it is very much looking at the person in the mirror, starting with the person in the mirror. How am I doing? Where am I? What are my intentions? What's driving my energy today? Where is that energy coming from? It's being responsible. I think about Dr. Jill Bolt-Taylor talked about in her memoir, being responsible for the energy that you bring into a space. So I think starting with that and managing that, as I said most recently, if that energy is overwhelming for us, sending it where it came from, because we realize as leaders that we have a responsibility to manage what is taken forth to our team. So I think that that's incredibly important, starting from that space and then moving on to our teams again in that authentic way. Here's what the problem is. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what the issue is today. Here's what's going well, right? Keeping our teams focused in this almost kind of SWOT analysis way where we talk about strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats. And I love doing SWOT analyses. I do them with my teams. I know it's like age old, but I actually use them for teams that are in trouble. I use them as a team training tool. What's going really well? And what's not going well? What are you seeing out in the environment on other units, at other hospitals, out in the market that you'd like to adopt as your opportunities? And then if we don't do these things, if we don't adopt those opportunities, if we don't address our weaknesses, what could potentially go wrong? It is a really, again, so basic, so used for so long, but really a great tool to help teams be self-reflective because, again, you want to engender that authentic leadership style in your teams too. So now that you've done that self-reflective work, how do you help your teams to be able to do that? To not stay in such a self-reflective stage where we are second-guessing because that's the thin line, right? We're always, you don't want to be so self-reflective that you're self-questioning constantly. You got to move on. But enough to say, I recognize, as you said, Nikki, I'm not perfect. I recognize I'm coming from a space of humility, and so I'm going to do my self-check. Encouraging our teams to do that, and then to take that same mindset forward to the next person, and then to the next person, right? And for us in healthcare, that ends up at the bedside with patients and families. And just imagine being able to have this kind of energy exchange with patients and family members where you're also encouraging them to take control of their experience, to have those self-reflective moments as well in terms of what they want to see for themselves. How am I doing today? Making goals for ourselves. Like you can actually see the ability for that to cascade in a way that helps all of us grow. But now you're building trust at that frontline level between the customer, the client, the patient and family member in healthcare and the person delivering care because there's a relationship built on authenticity, built on trust, built on shared accountability. And I think that if we could just do that, have this model that evidences itself at every level of our organization, I think that people will see that common thread. I think that they will respect it. I think it gives them a framework to go by every day that they can rely on that if they see me showing up in a way that is not reflective of who we say we are, they can remind me to do that self-check. They can remind me to take a moment because they know the expectation. They know what the framework is. They know what the value is. And they know that just for today, I maybe have deviated from it a little bit, but they have something to refer to to help me get back on track. I think that what we can do as leaders is to set up those frameworks. 
this is who we are, right? This is who we are. This is what we believe. And beyond core values, because core values can be kind of esoteric, but saying this is what it looks like. This is what core values in action looks like. And you have something to hold me accountable to should I falter. And then amongst all of that, giving ourselves grace and giving each other grace because falter we will. Regarding building trust on the front lines, I just want to reiterate the high importance of both asking people for feedback or their input and even more important on the acting on it. I spent a few years working with an employee engagement assessment data company and a reoccurring problem would arise among our clients. People felt that their feedback was useless and then every quarter you'd see the numbers drop on how many people would participate. And when we're working on turning a ship, like a big problem that we're all working towards and we saw this data, so we're working on it, it can take a long time and we must communicate those updates regularly. Even we're working so close to it. We hear it all the time, but we can't forget maybe that they haven't heard anything about it since they submitted their feedback. And here's the other point, even if things are stuck, it's like, yeah, we've not made any progress necessarily in three months or something, but here's what we're doing to try to make progress. We've heard you. So I think the worst thing that we can do is ask people for their input and really get them feeling involved. And then we overlook how often we need to communicate the updates on what's happening. So gosh, I worked very close to that for a while. So thank you for bringing that to life. And Ophelia, this has been a very meaningful conversation. It's gone so fast. Lots of powerful takeaways that I will summarize at the end. But before I share those, we're going to take a quick break and do our lightning round where we'll get to learn just a little bit more about some of your favorite things. And we'll be right back. Loneliness and isolation have been growing problems over the past decade, and then the pandemic really accelerated both. I'm thankful to work with partners like Even Health that bring products like Cabana to the workplace and allow employees to have conversations and support on tough topics. Thank you, Even Health, for all you do to fight mental health stigma and give people places to heal and be comforted. It's Nikki, and we're back on Gut Plus Science with Dr. Ophelia Byers and David Black, my co-host today. And David is going to lead us into our lightning round. So David, I'll let you take it away. Great. Ophelia, you ready? I'm ready. All right. Your favorite book of all time or your favorite recent read? Good question. I'm going to go with favorite recent read, though I haven't finished it, but it's meaningful to me. You Are More Than Magic by Minda Hart. It's her latest book for young adults and teens. And it's meaningful to me because I am now the mother of a 14-year-old girl. She just turned 14 on April 24th. My daughter, Hailey, also have a son, Chaz. But it's the first book that we're reading together. And so that's really meaningful to me and to see her changing. So You Are More Than Magic by Minda Hart. That's great. Favorite hobby when you're not working? Reading, listening to audiobooks. I'm an audiobook fanatic because I have long commutes. That's what I do. And really just reading whatever I can get my hands on and mentoring. I do a lot of mentoring at no cost and coaching at no cost. I enjoy it more than anything, being able to be a part of leaders' career journeys and stuff. It's my favorite thing. All right. This is a, a fun one. Where is your favorite vacation spot? Not so fun, probably. <laughs> um, home. I'm a homebody. So definitely have vacations a lot. My husband and I would probably... Say Kauai has probably been one of our best vacations, the Garden Isle. It's absolutely stunning there, but I personally love it at home. I love being with my family and our crazy puppy. It is my center. So that's my favorite space. I love it. I have a four to six-year-old and after a long vacation, my favorite vacation spot is getting back to the house where I know <laughs> things are in control. 
a little bit more. How can listeners connect with you after the show? Oh, thanks for asking. I am certainly on LinkedIn. Feel free to check me out there. Welcome to follow or connect. And then my email is Dr. D-R-O-M Byers, D-N-P. That's actually quite long, Um, but at gmail.com. Certainly open to receiving email there. Feedback there, as Nikki said, feedback is the breakfast of champions. It is the greatest gift that we can give anyone. And constructive feedback to me is the ultimate form of teamwork. So I welcome any feedback, certainly about my messaging today and invite any opportunity to connect with like-minded individuals. Another awesome healthcare episode. So good. And thank you to David Black for being such a great co-host today. Ophelia, your insights were just wonderful. Stories, excellent. Thank you. Here's my truth you can act on. Number one, before starting to innovate on solutions or dive in and solve problems that you might be assuming are problems, do a needs assessment to allow the voices of your people to be heard. The people who work closest to the problems are the best ones to help solve the problems. Once you ask for their input, keep them informed of what you're doing with their feedback and keep communicating updates all the way through. Number two, renewing trust starts with acknowledging that there is a problem and eliminate toxic positivity. Number three, we must recognize challenges and spend time relating to them, even if they're not problems that directly affect us. Dig in to understand the problems that others face and provide empathy and support to those problems to help people know that you care and that you want to help solve. Another great episode of Healthcare Excellence, and we're looking forward to seeing you for our final episode this month. Next time, we'll see you then. We just left the world a little bit better. Now, go do something with it.